Uh, Genesis chapter 3. So a couple of weeks ago, before the uh, ordination, we started a series on Wednesday nights called Winning the War in Your Mind. Winning the War in Your Mind. And here is, is one of the, the main principles we discovered that, that we're going to be exploring throughout this series. And that is this, what we think shapes who we are. What we think shapes who we are. When you do what's right, you don't just do what's right. You do what's right because of what's going on inside of your soul. And, and when, you, when you sin, do you know why it is you sin? You say, well, it's because I made a mistake. I made an accident. That's not why you sin. I, 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 I sin because I was just in a situation where it was impossible not to. No, that's, that's not why you sin. You sin this, the same reason your, your kids sin. And it's not because of your environment or because of the pressures that, that have, have come at you. You know why we sin? We sin because we want to. We sin because we love to. That's why we sin. So if we're going to do battle against sin, if we're going to do battle against evil behavior and evil actions, if we're going to let God change us to become more like the character of his son, it doesn't start with our actions or with our behavior. Those are just the byproducts of who we really are on the inside. If we're going to change in those ways, if we're going to see transformation in our life in those ways, it's going to start with the war that we engage in in our mind. How we think. The, the enemy's war against us does not begin with what we do with our hands or our, our tongues or where we go with our feet. It begins in our minds. How does our enemy work? Well, you're in Genesis 3. Let's, let's look at verses 4 and 5. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Uh, we're not going to do a full exposition of, of Genesis 3, but think of what's going on here. This is an important text because uh, Christianity teaches that everything going wrong in this world and everything going wrong inside of us goes back to the moment when we told God no. But why did we tell God no? Why do Adam and Eve take the fruit and by taking the fruit declare autonomy from their creator? Well, well, it's obviously because Satan told them to eat the fruit and they did. Is that what happened? Look at the verses. Does, does the devil tell them to take the fruit? Does he force them to take the fruit? Our, our very fall into sin, the 
the very uh, beginning point for where everything went wrong in our relationship with God doesn't go back to us being forced to sin or the devil even telling us to sin. No, Satan told them a lie. And they believed it. They took the fruit because they had wrong ideas that they had accepted, that they had believed about God's goodness and about God's willingness to carry out his promises. This is going to be key to what we're talking about tonight. So I want you to to latch on to this, okay? Beneath every sinful deed is a lie believed. Beneath every sinful deed is a lie believed. Adam and Eve ate the fruit, not because they were told to, but because they believed they would become like God. They believed that God, instead of being good and instead of caring for them and instead of having their best interests at heart, they believed God was dishonest with them and was holding back what was best for them. They ate the fruit because they believed a lie. Cain killed Abel because he believed the lie that it was Abel's fault that Cain didn't have a relationship with God. We've been in 1 Samuel on Sunday nights. Saul chased David, and this even came out in in chapter 21. Saul chased David because he sincerely believed a lie that David was out to get him. Now that, That was the opposite of the truth, but Saul believed it. Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts lied to the church because they themselves had believed a lie that if they did what they were doing with the sell of their property, it would embellish their reputation. Beneath every sinful deed is a lie believed. What we think in our mind shapes how we live our lives. And if you believe a lie, even though it's not true, it will affect your life and your decisions and your actions as if it were true. This would be great if we could just sort of automatically detect these lies. If we could hook our, our soul to some, up to some sort of machine that would tell us, here's all the wrong things we're thinking. But it doesn't come that easily because in our sin and in our, in, in our bent nature and in our fallenness, we tend to believe the, the lies that the, the, that the devil is selling. So what's our solution? How, how do we access God's power to stop these lies? And if lies have become so ingrained and such a a permanent fixture of the the furniture of our hearts that they become strongholds or fortresses, then how do we tear those suckers down? Are we destined to just always believe lies and then live accordingly? I I don't think so. Think, Think about it this way. If Satan's primary weapon against our hearts is lies, then our greatest counter weapon is God's truth. So so here's what it looks like to wield this weapon. This is what we're going to be talking about tonight. As God's people, we are called to remove lies and replace those lies with truth. Remove lies and replace 
with truth. Remove lies and replace with truth. So how do we do that? How do we remove lies? Well, obviously, at first, we're going to have to begin to train ourselves to recognize them. Now, if you have let yourself think that, that your real spiritual battles are all external, that, that, that every kind of spiritual warfare is, is just things being done to you, you're going to have a hard time with this principle because the Bible teaches that a lot of our spiritual warfare is inside of us, that we can be our own worst enemy. And we believe a lot of lies. We believe a lot of lies. So we have to train ourselves to recognize them if we're going to remove them. So here's what that process looks like. We have to identify our problems. Then we look at those problems and we ask probing questions. So we we think about what's behind the problem. And then we pinpoint the lie that's underneath the problem. Now, we don't automatically know If we believe lies and we believe them sincerely, then we're not going to know that they're lies. So we have to start with the the things going on in our spiritual lives that bother us, the things that bring us conviction, the things that make us feel guilty. We have to start with those problems. Then we ask questions about them, and then we pinpoint the lie. We're going to go through a couple examples of what this uh, lie removal looks like. Here's one example, finances. Finances. Let's say uh, your your spending is out of control. Okay, how do you how do you identify the problem? Well, uh, hopefully, you you've already stated it, right? It's that your spending is out of control. It's not good to spend more money than you take in. That can you know that can have all different kinds of manifestations. If you're staying up till midnight on Amazon every single evening. Uh, if you have to buy a storage shed and then a second short storage shed and a third storage shed, and it's not because you're moving, it's just because of what you're buying. If you're going out to eat more than you're making your own food, if you feel like you constantly have to replace very good clothes to stay with the latest fashions, if you're in so much credit card debt that you're, you're just having to pay the minimum balance and you're getting drowned in interest, Okay, if any of those things apply to you, you're probably spending too much money. That's the problem. But identifying the problem isn't enough, is it? Because you can look at that and say, yeah, David, you're right, I spend too much money. Okay, after church is over, I'm going to go buy some more stuff. I'm going to go order some more stuff online (laughs) while I'm eating out. No, we can recognize problems without dealing with them. This is why we have to go to that next part of the process, which is the, maybe the most difficult thing we're going to learn about in this whole lie removal, this whole lie removal discipline, and that is asking questions about our problems. You can be confronted with a problem and refuse to think about it. Have you, are you married? I'm not saying that's your problem, but if you're married, <laughs> this is going great. If you're married... And your spouse points out a problem, right? Is that ever, am, am I the only one? Um, and, and you say something like this, well, that's just who I am. That, that's not going to change the, the issue, is it? No. 
to, to get underneath the problem, we have to ask questions about it. Okay, this is true. People are noticing this about me. My wife notices this about me, or my husband notices this about me, or my kids notice this about me. That hurts, doesn't it? Why do I do this? When did this start? How long have I been like this? How does this make me feel when I do it? Is there a trigger that always prompts this behavior? When I do this thing, is there always something before that? As you ask these questions, we, we then pray for God's help to see what's underneath our behavior. And what we find there, if there is sinful behavior involved, what we find is a lie. So let's pinpoint the lie. Well, there could be a lot of lies underneath why your spending may be out of control. One of them could be this. Um, you, you grew up and you never felt like you had enough. You're, your parents only gave you hand-me-down clothes. Um, you were the worst dressed at school. You never got to go on vacation to anywhere cool. You never had all the technology that all your friends had. You always felt behind. And you, you thought, man, it, when I get older and I get a job and I get a career, I'm going to have really nice stuff. And my kids are going to have really nice stuff. And, and while that may be a good desire, You've told yourself that if, I'm, if I just have better stuff, I'll be accepted by people and I'll feel good about myself. The problem with that is it's a lie. Having better stuff won't make everyone accept you. And you can have a lot of nice stuff and not necessarily feel good about yourself. Because it turns out you can feel bad about overspending. Now, those things aren't true. You won't feel fulfilled in life. You won't feel better about yourself. And you won't feel accepted by everyone if you have nice stuff. But if you believe a lie as if it's true, what will it, what will it do? It will affect you as if it was true. So, so we move from recognizing the problem to asking questions about it and then pinpointing the lie. Let, let's look at another problem. Let's think about uh, the example of addictions. And addictions come in you know, all kinds of shapes and forms. You have a destructive habit. Uh, it, it could be something like, like pain pills. Prescription or maybe over-the-counter pain pills, right? And, and you may feel like you cannot get through a day, you can't relax, you can't face your stress if you don't pop some pills. It, it may be something even a lot more innocent, like sugar. You may have too much sugar. I know that's, that hardly ever happens in, in, in our country, but there are people that, believe it or not, ingest too much sugar and not enough good nutrients into their body. I, I've seen them. I've seen one in the mirror. And we know it's not a good habit and it's a destructive habit and it zaps our energy. Okay, that, that's a problem. Uh, addiction means we, we have a distorted attachment to something. We're not rightly attached to it. We depend too heavily on a habit or a substance. So we've identified the problem. Okay, then we ask questions about it. what is driving this behavior. Why do I binge on sugar? What are some of the things that go on before I binge on sugar? Is there a certain time of the day that I do this? What need do I feel like this is meeting? What is different about this habit than other habits that I've been able to successfully quit? Why does this one stick? 
And again, it may not be sugar, it may be medications. It could be something much more serious like pornography. You ask questions about it. It's not enough to acknowledge you have a problem. Ask questions about the problem. What those will eventually lead you to is the lie. There are a lot of lies that could be behind our addictions. You could tell yourself, I can't deal with stress in life without this substance. I cannot have a feeling of peace and inner well-being without... Did anything come to mind? I can't feel okay about myself unless I have... And so we found the lie. Underneath our behaviors are lies. Or under, I should say underneath our sinful behaviors. Underneath all our behaviors are ideas, and underneath our sinful behaviors are wrong ideas. Behind every decision that you make that's against God is a wrong idea about God or about your life. So, how do we remove lies? We go from identifying the problem to asking questions about the problem to pinpointing the lie behind the problem. We can't, we, we, listen, we won't be able to do spiritual warfare in our own hearts if we don't pinpoint these lies. This is where it starts. But, but that's not enough, is it? It's not enough to know that you've been lied to. It's not enough to know that, that you've bought into something that's wrong. Okay? If you, if you discover that... Uh, um, the, you know, the prince in Africa that you've been sending $10,000 a month to isn't actually going to get you your inheritance despite the fact you give them all this money. You know, it's not enough to recognize that you've been lied to if you keep sending the checks, right? I hope none of you are doing that, but just in case. No, we, we, have, to, we have to take these lies and we have to replace them with what God says is true. If Satan's primary weapon is lies, then our greatest counterweapon to those lies is the truth of God's word. So we remove the lies and replace the truth. Now, we're going to go to the, the very opposite of Genesis 3, the antithesis of Genesis 3. And we find that in Matthew chapter 4. So turn your Bibles from the beginning of the Old Testament to the beginning of the New. Matthew chapter 4. When our parents went up against temptation... In the garden, in a perfect world where they should have trusted God, they fell. Not because they were told to sin, but because they believed a lie. Now we have Jesus. And don't you love how Matthew opens the, the, such an early part of Jesus' ministry is this testing. Perfect world, but he is in a wilderness, a, a desert that all the problems in the garden created. And in this desert, he doesn't come up against Satan once, but three times. Not full and satisfied with everything he needed like Adam and Eve were, but hungry and fasting. And something very different happens when our Savior confronts the same tempter, doesn't it? Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. The first temptation, uh, Satan tries to get Jesus to turn stones into bread. Now, Jesus could do miracles, we know, but Satan wanted Jesus to meet his needs, and he did need food, by the way. He wanted Jesus to meet his needs with something that wasn't the Father's plan. 
There's nothing bad about bread, and there's nothing wrong with Jesus miraculously providing food, is there? But the Father's plan was for Jesus to fast. So Satan tempts Jesus with a good thing, but it wasn't in God's timing. What does Jesus do? Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. Jesus says, no, I'm not going to do that. No, it's actually not what he says. Jesus goes a little bit deeper than that. It's written, Jesus says, quoting Deuteronomy 8.3, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. You see, Jesus isn't thinking, you know, I should do this. I should turn this into bread. I shouldn't be fasting. I should be able to take care of myself. I've been out here a long time, but you know, Satan, I'm not going to do it anyway. No, that's not what happened. Jesus doesn't just have the right action. Our Savior thinks differently than sinners. He rejects Satan's lie. Look at the second temptation. Satan realizes his plan fails, and then he tries from a different angle. He tells Jesus to throw himself off the temple and force the Father's hand to intercede and protect him. Look at chapter 4 and verse 7. Here, again, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6, verse 16. He says, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Third temptation, Satan tries again. This time he shows him all the kingdoms of the world. This is the one thing, by the way, if you think about it, the one thing that the devil had that the Savior didn't. That's the hearts of people. Not only is it something Satan had and Jesus didn't have, it's something that Jesus wanted and, by the way, rightly deserves. Satan offers him the kingdoms of men. If he will fall and bow down to him. What does Jesus do? Do you recognize a pattern here? He quotes Deuteronomy 6.13. Matthew chapter 4 verse 10. Is it, do we have it up? He says, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou, thou serve. Now, don't you think it makes sense that we would use the same approach in facing temptation that Jesus did? If we're going to do battle against the lies of the enemy, shouldn't we use the same approach that Jesus did, which was absolutely flawless and successful? Jesus didn't just say no to sin. He refused to believe the lies by countering with God's truth. You see, here's the thing about growing as a Christian. A lot of times we think of of Christian growth in in, uh, outward manifestations. And while we're with other Christians that maybe have just gotten saved or they've been saved for a long time, but they're a little immature, we want to see them take some real actionable steps, don't we? If we know someone that's, that's believed on Jesus, we want to see them come to church. We, we want to see them have a daily devotional lives where they listen to God through scripture and talk back to God through prayer. We want to see those things happen. And ultimately, we want them to, to say no to sin. But here's the thing. Becoming like Jesus means more than doing different things. Becoming like Jesus means that we are growing in Christ and thinking differently than we used to think. Becoming like Jesus means we're no longer captive to the same kinds of lies that used to control us. 
So yeah, becoming like Jesus means we're not going to sin as much as we used to sin. But becoming like Jesus also means we think like Jesus. You see, this is the heart, this is the very heart of the replacement principle. We have to remove the lies and replace the truth. Let's see how this, this works out with some examples, uh, some examples we considered earlier. First one was we talked about finances. What was the lie? We, we noticed the problem, but what was the lie underneath the problem? If I had more, I would be happy. It's not enough to know, know the lie. We have to think about God's truth. So go to Philippians chapter 4. You can, you can read it on the screen. Paul says this. Paul says, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. The, the lie is if I have more, I would be happy. Paul's testimony is this. I am content in this situation when I'm in a prison, forgotten, when all these other people are trying to take the ministries that I've started. Or I can be in this other situation where I'm staying at Lydia's house in Philippi, and it's a, like a really big, nice house. There's people bringing me food. I've got money in the bank. Things are going well. I can be content there too. Paul is saying for a Christian that your contentment isn't based on your circumstance. Why? Because I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Do do you see the truth here? Now, that's that's recalling the truth. We're, We're recalling God's truth and remembering what God has said. But then we have to turn God's truth into a declaration for ourselves. We have to put it into our own words and actually apply it. Because what God says is true, because I can rely on him, because he will make me content, then I can be content no matter what I have because I have Jesus. You see, there's a difference between reading the Bible and and listening to the Bible and being familiar with the Bible and implementing it as a weapon. We can read the Bible our whole lives, but if we never let the Bible do what, what it's intended to do, which is counter these lies that we believe, it's not going to help us. We, we, you can memorize the whole Bible, but if you don't let the Bible be used as a weapon to go against Satan's lies, it's not going to change how you behave. It's not going to change the outcome. So you see, you see what's going on here? There's pinpointing the lie, recalling God's truth, declaring God's truth. The other example, we talked about addictions. What was the lie underneath the addiction? I need this, fill in the blank, I need this substance. I have to use this substance in the way that I use it to help me relieve my stress and give me a sense of peace. That's the lie. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. The words of our Savior, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In verses 29 through 30, he talks about the easy yoke. That is the easy yoke that we have in trusting Jesus. 
Now we turn God's truth into a declaration. You see, the declaration isn't, I'm sufficient in myself. I can take care of, of, of my own problems. I don't need this addictive substance. I'm just going to power through it. No, that's not the declaration. The declaration is based on the truth of Matthew 11. I do need God. No, I, I am a needy person. The reason I reach for this and the reason I reach for that and the reason I abuse this and the reason I overuse that is because I am a desperately needy person. I don't have what it takes to be strong. I don't have what it takes to deal with stress. I don't have what it takes to sort out my own problems. I am needy, but I need God. And in God, I find my rest. In God, I am helped through the stresses and the difficulties of life. In coming to and being with Jesus, I find the rest that I desperately, desperately need that in the past I've tried to find in all the wrong places. Do you see the pattern? We pinpoint the lie, we recall God's truth, and then we declare God's truth for ourselves. I want to go through just a few very concise examples of what this looks like. You could believe a lie that uh, uh, Pastor Tyler talked about uh, just a couple weeks ago in a Sunday night sermon from the life of Saul, you could be the lie that's, believe a lie that says, I'm only a victim. That's it. Nothing good has ever happened to me. No one cares about me. I'm not accepted. I'm not loved. The only thing that happens to me in life is that I am hurt. Here's the truth from Romans chapter 8. Paul says, if God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Do you see where Paul's going? How shall he not with him, with Christ, also freely give us all things? If you know Jesus, you may be a victim. I don't want to delegitimize that. But if you know Jesus, you are more than a victim. You've been saved by God. You are loved by him. You are known by him. He cares about you. So then your declaration is this. I'm more than a victim. I'm an heir of God's blessings in Jesus. It could be purity. You could be a single person and you're struggling with sexual purity. And you could believe a lie that a lot of young single people believe. I cannot be healthy. I cannot experience wholeness without sexual fulfillment. If I don't satisfy these desires, these cravings, then I won't be healthy and whole as a person. A lot of people believe that. That it's just inevitable that because you're single and because you're this age, well, you're going to do these kinds of things that God says no to. That's a lie. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, we're, we're promised this, that our God is faithful. Our God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. Right? He's going to make a way of escape for you. Sin is never inevitable. Sin is never inevitable. And notice, Paul doesn't just say he'll make a way of escape. He said it's because God is faithful. When you give in to sin and you think these sins are normal, they're just what's going to happen, it's inevitable that I'm going to fall into this again and again, you're doubting the faithfulness of God. That's why Paul doesn't just say that God makes a way of escape. He begins with God is faithful. You have to declare the truth to yourself that I don't need anything for my life that God says is out of bounds. 
You could be hopeless. You could believe the, the lie that you are hopeless to ever see change, to ever see transformation. You, you think this habit or this sin is never going to change about me. It will always be part of who I am. It will always be part of my identity. I'm going to struggle with this until the day I die, and I'm going to give into it, and I'm going to fail until the day I die. That's a lie. That's a lie. The idea that you can never change is a lie. Philippians 1.6. What are we told? That he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. God's changing us. God's changing us. He is. Even when we don't feel like it. Even when we feel like we, make, we have one step forward and two steps backward in our sanctification. The Bible says you're sanctified and you're being sanctified more and more like your Savior. Even on days when you don't feel like it. We rest in that promise. So then what's the declaration? I can change because God is at work changing me. Do you notice a common thread here? The lies that we believe aren't primarily just about ourselves. They're about God and what he can do and who he is. That is what is underneath our sin. This is why we want to sin. This is why we love to sin. Because of what we forget about our God. And sin flows out of that forgetfulness. Beneath every sinful deed is a lie believed. If we want to go to war with our sin, the battle begins in our mind. And the first weapon that we need to take into this battle is the replacement principle. Remove the lies, replace with truth. This isn't just a one-time exercise. I hope you do it at least one time, but it's not going to make a lot of permanent changes if you try it one time. This is a principle to live by, and a principle is a decision that you make once, and then you live by over and over and over and over and over again. So I want you to see this replacement principle literally as a principle for your life. Now, we're going to have an invitation, but before we, before we jump into that, I want you to know that this is very serious business. How we, we appropriate this principle or, or fail to appropriate this principle will affect who we are a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now. It will also affect our families, our relationships, our friendships, and our church. You can pretend that your mind is a playground and ignore the fact that it's a battleground, that won't change the fact that it's still a battleground and you'll just lose battle after battle after battle. You can believe it's a playground if you want to, but listen, guys, it's not. It's not a playground. It is a battleground. And we're called to do spiritual warfare in our minds. Two things I want you to do tonight, two things I'm going to ask of you this evening in response to to what we've learned. Uh, First of all, um, uh, back at the Resource Center, and then uh, some of the ushers are going to have these exercise sheets, okay? Very, very simple. It's challenging and painful because I've done some of them. I was going to get all my, uh, all my lies onto one sheet, and it didn't work. I need more sheets. But what, what you have here is just a space to pray, spend some time with God, and think about some of the lies that you're believing, 
Some of the lies that keep coming back that cause you to sin again and again and again. Then there's a, a space where you can write down God's truth that counters that lie. We gave, that's why we went through examples. This isn't just a, a, you know, like some sort of lecture to keep us from getting bored or that you'll find interesting. What we've just been doing in those examples is what I'm going to ask you to do with your own thought life, okay? So you pinpoint the lie, you recall God's truth, and then you write a declaration based on God's truth. Now, uh, I don't want to take for granted that this may be challenging, and you may need some help doing this, and that's okay. It may be good to talk to a trusted friend. It may be good to meet with pastor or someone on the staff. It may be good to talk to your spouse. And not just about your problems, but about the lies you believe underneath those problems. And then you're going to have to think of some scriptures, some truths that counter what you've been believing. So, so what, what I'm doing with this for my own uh, personal life is I'm, I'm going to go through these uh, this week. The, the declarations, the lies, the truths that I've written out for myself. Uh, I'm going to go through them as part of my devotional routine. To remind myself, now, now, now you may think, well, it's kind of weird to write declarations. I mean, isn't that a little goofy to tell yourself things? Martin Lloyd-Jones said that Christians spend way too much time listening to themselves and not enough time talking back to themselves. I believe that. Here's a way you can talk back to yourself. Because not everything that we think is true. So the first thing I want you to do is grab at least one of these. Grab one tonight, and then you may need more. And you know what? That's okay. That's okay. These are very cheap to print, and I think they'll, they will help a lot of people. I really, really think that. I believe in it. The second thing I want you to do is this. I, tonight, I want us to get before the Lord and surrender ourselves to Him like this. I want us to tell God this. Lord, I want to fight lies, but I need your help. I want to fight lies but I need your help. Will you tell the Lord that tonight? Let's all stand.